This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. And welcome to Sightlines, your guide to the visual arts in and around Dunedin. I'm Sally McMillan, and this show is brought to you on behalf of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. Today, I'm talking to prominent Dunedin artist Geoffrey Harris about the origins and development of his illustrious career, which spans more than 50 years. But first, here's DPAG Society President Ross Curry with the latest on the Dunedin arts scene. This is Snapshot. Ross, there's lots happening around town in June. Give us some of the highlights. Just when you thought the rhododendron season was over for this year, it's now back in June at the Milford Gallery with Carl Morn and his luxurious signature rhododendron and botanical oil paintings. Hard on the heels of two Auckland artists inspired by the work of Joanna Margaret Paul, who showed in May at Olga Gallery, her son Felix Harris has a follow-up show of his paintings. Silence in Paradise is on at Olga Gallery through June. And we'll be interviewing Felix's father, Geoffrey Harris, later in the show. So this talented family has been a feature of the Dunedin Arts scene this month. What's on at Gallery de Novo, Ros? Eliza Glynn has an exhibition starting on June the 9th and finishing on June the 22nd. Eliza is a Port Chalmers residence and her peaceful semi-abstract landscapes are inspired by the Otago Harbour. Her exhibition will be followed by a group show featuring a range of artists who often appear at Gallery de Novo. And on the ninth floor of the Robert McDougall Gallery building on the Otago University campus, Linda Cook, a society member and master's candidate at the School of Art, is showing her work up until July. Her work features an interplay between textured foregrounds and coloured borders that range from muted to incandescent. This is a very immersive work and well worth a visit. And what about FE29 in St. Clair, Ross? Some good stuff going on there too, I think. That's right. Amy Melchior is showing at the FE29 gallery from June 3rd until July 3rd. These works focus on the stories of women and her family. And Amy uses a really interesting method. It's ancient encaustic technique, which involves heating a mixture of beeswax and dama resin with added pigment. This is used with other materials to create a luminous and deeply layered effect. And of course there's also plenty going on at DPAG at the moment. Yeah, always plenty going on, Sally. The Aotearoa 2023 visiting artist Peter Robinson, Ngaitahu, has an exhibition featuring work arising from his recent residency in Dunedin. In his show, Ka Kaihopura, he uses a range of materials to explore stories about art history and migration. The new Frances Hodgkin show focuses on her later work from 1939 to the mid-1940s when she moved around England from her base in London. Between Croft and Corfe concentrates on landscapes depicting rural life and mainly draws from the permanent collection. The Hodgkin's exhibition shows until July the 23rd. But uh, wait, there's more, I think, at DPAG. There is. Rebecca Bowman's installation Light Interference runs until June the 4th. The shifting of colours across the big wall in the atrium changes with the strength and direction of sunlight and the position of the viewer. We're going to miss this show. 
Haruhia Anakafetu unveiling the stars continues on the ground floor through June. This exhibition draws from the 8,000 plus pieces of art in the permanent collection and is a taste of the riches acquired over the decades. Check out the number of works bought from society funds. Spoiler alert, it's most of them. Any events for kids coming up? Yes, there are. there's a fun event coming up on June the 3rd in the Fano Gallery on the first floor. Families and children are invited to create and share stories related to a series of works from the collection. It's called Look Out Loud, so be prepared for some very creative noise. And last but by no means least, the fabulous Robin White show is sadly coming to an end this month. Yeah, it is sad. We're going to miss it. The Robin White exhibition closes on June the 25th, so get down there soon for another visit or a last-minute first visit. On Saturday, June the 10th, there's a conversation between Dr. Nina Tonga, the Robin White Exhibition Te Papa Tongarewa curator, and Mary Montgomery. Mary will talk about her life and activism, and her iconic portrait is a feature of the Robin White Exhibition. Thanks, Ross. And now it's time for our feature item. Today we're joined in the studio by Dunedin artist Geoffrey Harris. I say Dunedin artist, perhaps in a similar way that Australia claims the Pavlova and Split Ends as their own, but in fact Geoffrey was born and raised in Banks Peninsula. He came to Dunedin in 1970, but although he's lived in other places, including Australia at other times, his heart has brought him back to Dunedin time and time again, his adoptive home where he has stayed. Geoffrey, welcome to Sightlines. Thank you. So what did bring you here? I worked in Christchurch for three years, and um, after I left school in 1966, um, I, I had my first exhibition down here, and I couldn't uh, fit in in Christchurch. Uh, nobody liked my work up there. It was sort of a closed shop and very conservative. So I uh, saw a painting by Michael Smither in uh, Women's Weekly in 1969, and I wrote to him, and Three months later, he replied, and so I started sending him. I was doing all my work was on paper, and I so I sent him a bundle of work, and he responded, and he liked them, showed them through Ralph Hodery and other people. Uh, and that time, he was living in Central Otago. We developed a correspondent relationship. He came to visit me at my parents' place, and um, he organised my first exhibition in Dunedin, which was a sellout and. Very enthusiastic uh, reception, so I wanted to come down here because this is where I was accepted. Right, and that, so so you you left school in 1966, and one of the things that I think many things that distinguishes you from a number of other accomplished artists is that you didn't go to art school. Why was that? Well, part of the reason my parents uh, were were against it, and my father especially was against. It. He didn't like universities or university people. He wanted me to get a job. And uh, he made me get a job, so that was a sort of closed option. And what was the job? Well, I was a shop assistant. He took me around Christchurch one day and said, you're going to get a job by the end of the day. Uh, We went to this place, this place. And because of the art thing, I went to advertising, things like that. And um, someone there said, you know, you should go to art school, you know. But my father said, no, no, you're getting a job by the end of the day. Bang, and, uh, and <laughs> I were. got one. Yeah. But there was a shop assistant. Uh, initially, they 
we're go- I was going to be window designer, things like that. Yes, but, yes. Oh. And of course, in those days of full employment, um, it wouldn't be too hard to get a job by the end of the day. No, it wasn't. necessarily it wasn't, a job you wanted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think you'd see. My father said, you know, what about the pay? Make sure you get the right pay. I wasn't interested in money at all. That's you know. the main thing. Hmm. You've said, though, that there were a few people who were saying to your father, look, your son has this talent. Yeah, well, that's happened on the day we went round because I took my portfolio with me, you know, to try and get a job as a window dresser or designer or something in the art field. And people commented on that and said, you know, you should go to art school. Yes. No, that wasn't uh, wasn't an option. Not what Dad had in mind. As a consequence of that, um, during those three years you kept painting, but albeit doing your, your shop assistant job during the day, and you built up a portfolio. Yeah, sorts. yeah, yeah. I did a lot of work. I, yeah, I worked all weekend um, and an enormous amount of work on paper. And that's when I started sending, when I made contact with Michael Smither, um, I sent him work and, and then Ralph Hodry, other people, Charles Brash, etc., saw the work and that led to the exhibition in Dunedin. But I did go around the galleries in Christchurch, but they didn't, they weren't interested, so... Right. Mm. So Michael Smithers was, I think, the Francis Hodgkins Fellow in 1970. Yeah. Uh, I think you also received support and encouragement from Ralph Hotere, who held the fellowship in 1969. Who else was influential in your decision to come here and to stay? Charles Brash and Rodney Kennedy, um, Maureen Hitchings. Yeah, there were quite a few people, and there were people who bought, obviously people bought the work. So my work was in collections in Dunedin and and there wasn't any in Christchurch. So. What did your dad think about that? <laughs> they thought it was a phase. I was going to get out of it, you know. Right, he's a lot of parents. You know, you're going to, you, you know, in th- two or three years, you'll give it up, and you know, you realise you made a mistake. <laughs> and yet here we are. Yeah, here we are. And in, in fact, only seven years later, you yourself were awarded the Francis Hodgkins Fellowship. Tell us about your life and work during those first seven years. I met Joanna Paul at Charles Brash's and um, fell in love with her and then we got married and moved to Seacliff, which was her idea. And then I decided I needed to be somewhere to sort of advance my career. So we went to Wellington for a year, but that didn't sort of work out. And uh, so we went back to Banks Peninsula where I grew up and we lived in a fantastic old house there for three years and I applied for the Francis Hodgkins Fellowship and came back to Dunedin. Now, one of the things that you've said in previous interviews was that, that your landscape is, a, is something that you find very inspiring, that you're very drawn to. W- what is it about the Otago landscape that draws you back? Uh, I think it's just, well, especially Otago Peninsula. It's just, it reminds me very much of Banks Peninsula, where I grew up, in, which made a dramatic sort of impact on me, especially where my grandparents lived on O'Kane's Bay, on the eastern bays, the bays facing out to the sea. So that sort of, yeah, resonates in a lot of my work, that those two landscapes. Um, but, yeah, I was immediately struck by the, when I came here, by the Otago Peninsula and, yeah, the, the landscape here. Is it the cliffs in particular? Yeah, the cliffs, which sort of, um, yeah, had said something to me. They're uh, sort of reoccurring image in, my, in a lot of my work. Yes, but I think you don't really paint landscapes, though, do you? you, you no, you they're not. They're not real landscape. I don't go out and paint landscapes at all. No, they're, they're associated with things like memory, and mm. a lot of them are based on photographs, and they're usually reflecting the emotions of the people. I mean, most most of my paintings are really about emotions, people, and 
but the landscape is a sort of echo of that or a, yes. uh, a sort of situation in which these people are placed. Yeah, And I think that's one of the, the great uniquenesses, there you go, I've just made a word up, of your, <laughs> of your work is that you, you, you take the inspiration from the landscape, you turn it into a different landscape to suit yeah. the people that are also Yeah, I turn it into my sort of landscape, I suppose. It's sort of uniquely mine, I suppose, in a way that I sort of internalise it and then bring it out again. Yes, mm. yes. Does the built landscape in Dunedin also inspire you? Yeah, yeah. I was very um, drawn to Dunedin and especially where my studio is and where my previous studio is down in Bond Street and Jetty Street. Those buildings sort of, um, because they're so solid and it's a lot of tradition and uh, permanence that I feel in the in that environment where most cities have been. There's hardly anything left of a lot of those, you know, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch. I mean, I didn't like Christchurch as a city, um, the flatness. So when I came here, this was like, wow, you know. Mm. It's all still here. Mm. You don't like temporary plastic sort of stuff. You're more <laughs> no, drawn no, no, to no, the no, more. No. And I don't like that in art. I mean, I'm fairly conservative, I suppose, in my taste. So, yeah, I like something that's sort of like has a history and um, it's going to be there sort of maybe has the feeling anyway of being there forever. Yes. Um, I don't like transitory things at all. This was the sort of best place in New Zealand that had that sort of history. And it's part uh, of what kept you coming back here. Yeah, yeah, and also the size of it too, the fact you can just walk around. I mean, we I just live up the hill. I walk to the, back and forth to the studio. It's about 10 minutes, and uh, you couldn't do that in most cities. No. In your early work people, and especially family, also feature a great deal. Tell us about that. One of the important influences was my grandparents who lived on Cairns Bay, and there were a lot of photographs and of them. They, they had celebrated, like, Christmas and things, and more than, say, my parents didn't at all. But there were a lot of photographs and um, images, and I've kept all those, and I've used them all the right throughout my career. Um, so and my grandmother had a fantastic garden, a wild garden, and this was quite a wild place exposed on the top of a hill. And, yeah, it made a big impact on me. And um, I've mainly the family photographs, fam- the family paintings have mostly come from that source. But as for my immediate family, it wasn't a close family. So I wonder sometimes if this family obsession is a sort of compensation for that. <laughs> well, you wouldn't be the first person to do that. No. Did no. your family encourage you to paint? My grandmother did, but my parents didn't. My parents were sort of against it. I've got a younger brother who was very supportive. There's one cousin who uh, has bought quite a bit of my work. But as many of my grandparents were the important people in my um, upbringing, in my life, um, What's your first memory of your grandparents encouraging you to paint or draw? Well, we used to go, well, there were two lot sets of grandparents, but the one that encouraged me to, to draw was we used to go to Akaroa. They lived in Akaroa, and we would go to the cinema and the local cinema, and then I'd come, we'd come back, and my grandmother had these pads she bought in the pens, and I would draw the images sort of from the film, and that's how I started Fantastic. Off. 
were there, were there teachers? I mean, a lot of people, a lot of artists talk about there being seminal influences in their lives and often they were teachers at school. Was there anybody? Yeah, in yeah. Life? We had a t- the art teacher at the school I went to, um, Rangura High School, was very uh, supportive and... Um, uh, yeah, he was he was a great person. He just let me sort of do what I wanted to do. I mean, one day he took one of my paintings and put it up in the staff room and told me, and uh, then he gave me the art prize. And, yeah, he just thought, wow, you know, go for it sort of thing. Um, wherever where all the other students were sort of doing still lives, and he said, oh, you can do what you like, you know. You might not have seen eye to eye with your dad. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, because when I got the school report, um, when I left school, um, it, and it said, you know, you had a great future in art and this and this. And my and my father read it and said, well, well what's the use of this? Like Hallie does. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, because I failed all the other subjects like science and mathematics and I didn't even bother with them, you know. Sort of my father thought, well, this is, you know, hopeless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Another common theme in your work is religion. Tell us about that. Are you religious? Is no, 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 not really, not at all, really. Um, but I was, uh, you know, because I taught myself from art books and a lot of the books I, I used to borrow all of these books from the Christchurch Library and, and until I started buying my own books. And um, most of the paintings I was drawn to were religious imagery, of, you know, 15th, 16th century paintings, crucifixions, especially struck me and I was fascinated by the intensity of these paintings um, which didn't seem to be echoed in sort of other sort of styles of painting so that's what drew me to the religious imagery mainly was the intensity of the um, feeling in these early paintings. And I think Joanna Paul was Catholic too wasn't she? Yeah she was a Catholic so there was a period when we got married and Subsequently, for about a year, we went to church, and you know, and I was sort of thinking of becoming a Catholic, and went to you know lessons to be converted, but it never happened, and that's the only time you know that it was conventional interest in religion, or as such. Yeah, you've talked about the intensity of religious images, and a lot of your works are large, people focused, and very powerful. In a 1983 documentary about you and your work, you said you talked about that intensity that you wanted to achieve. Mm. Do you think that you have achieved that? Uh, I suppose, yeah, I guess so. Yes, I think well, the works are intense. I mean, a lot of people don't like them because they're too intense. Yeah, there's there in, in certain paintings and works there are it's there there's intensity, but you've got to. Juggle that with you know the skill or the other qualities have to go into make to make a painting. Uh, they can't just be intense; they have to have other factors which yes. will make them work. Yeah, yeah. But that that was one of my goals. That's one of my obsessions was sort of to make it as intense as possible. Yeah, mm. you even when you're just speaking about that, Jeffrey, I can see that you invest a lot of yourself and your thoughts and your feelings and creating your work, how do you feel about parting with it when you come to sell it? Well, not really. Well, that's the aspect of the art world I don't like, um, which is the commercial aspect. But, I mean, that's unavoidable, otherwise you can't survive. So that's that's an issue that I've had difficulty with right throughout my career is is the selling of work and... um, 
if I had my way, I, I would, um, I'd, I'd keep it all. A lot of it is like parting with a part of yourself, and especially some works, uh, it's sort of like a big wrench when it goes. So that most of the work's very personal and has a personal, you know, association. So it's not like a sort of commercial transaction selling a work to me. It's much more involved than that, and uh, it's a bit more fraught than, you know, just sort of saying, well, this is the price you pay, and then you take the painting, see you later sort of thing. It feels mm. like selling part of yourself or part of your family. It is, yeah. And, I mean, a lot of people think being success in, their, in art is, is being famous and making a lot of money, but to me it's doing great work, you know, not whether you make money or not. It's good to make money, but if you can't, it's much better to, to make great art, you know. Well, I guess some people would say, though, that great is defined by whether or not other people regard it as great. What would you say yeah, to Yeah, well, in history, it, t- t- it tells us that sometimes it takes 100 years to be appreciated or, you know, a lot of the greatest artists have never been appreciated in their time. And so why is that? Because their work so mm. is difficult, hard to fit in. I mean, the work that fits in is usually... The most um, is it's sort of the, for a lot of work that's not good. It's superficial, and people can grasp it easily. And um, but then it has a limited lifespan, you know. Um, Van Gogh would be an, an example of that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. I mean, he only sold one painting, but um, for me, it's not the ideal. I would just like someone to give me all the money and to say, you don't have to sell anything, just paint. And <laughs> we would like to do that, Jeffrey. <laughs> But uh, that person doesn't exist. So. A lot of people who go through art school now, students that we speak to, talk about the confrontingness, there we go, we've made up a second word in the course of the show, of needing to get out there and hustle. Yeah, well. Not your jam. No. Well, I was lucky that I had the support of like other older artists, Ralph Hattery and Michael Smither, because they did a lot of that for me. I mean, they had promoted me and... That people who collected their work, they got them to buy my work and things like that. But yeah, when you're young, you probably have to hustle. But I, I mean, I can't do it. And I know if a couple of art, I know a young artist in Dunedin who is really good, but can't get anywhere because he doesn't hustle. You know, he can't do it. But a lot of the hustlers, you know, <laughs> a lot of it is a lot of hustle and not much. Their work's not that not great. Not much you substance. Know. Yeah. So, mm. so you had to learn, I think, to survive the dry periods. Yeah, there are quite a few dry periods, and it takes a bit of getting used to. Um, but something always turns up, and you know, you you survive. The most important thing is to do good painting and not get too involved in, you know, I didn't sell anything or this wasn't that or, you know. Don't make that your main objective. What are you working on at the moment? Working on some small paintings and some of them are family paintings from, yeah, I'm still doing family paintings and I'm not so drawn to the religious imagery anymore. That's sort of gone a wee bit. But, um, yeah, I'm... uh, do you think you'll ever have enough time to paint all the things that you want no, to paint? No, no, that's our time's running out and uh, I've got too much to do. I can't do it all. So it's a bit of a, I guess you just can do what you can do. And I've done a lot, but there's always more to do and um, you're never satisfied. So you always keep pushing and 
paint one painting will lead you on to another and you think well i can do better i can do another painting and uh there's yeah there's always there's so much to do what do you take inspiration from these days? I mean, you've talked about your family photos. You've talked that, said that religious imagery is not something that you're so drawn to now. So where is your inspiration coming from these days? A lot of, a lot of it is sort of, at this stage, it's sort of reflecting back and, and a lot of it comes from the paintings, the work that I've done. So it's a sort of um, refining of what I've done or, or, the, or just a sort of, not a tidying out, but a... A lot of it is coming out of the of the work I've done previously. When you create an image, do you work from go to woe, or do you sometimes start something, leave it? Come yeah, back? that's that's been part of my problem of starting a lot of work, and then I have more ideas. This especially happened when I was younger, so I wouldn't finish a body of work, and uh, I'd go on and do some new work. And so there are a lot of unfinished paintings around. There's not so much go to woe anymore um it's more paintings seem to take longer so i'm putting more into them because i want them to be better you know well jeffrey we hope to see much more great work from you (laughs) thank you (laughs) as the years roll by and thank you for spending some of your precious time with us in the studio today and giving us an insight into yourself and your magnificent work thank you great thanks very much and thanks to you our listeners Join us again in July when I'll be talking to local art educators about the vital importance of teaching and learning about art at all levels. If you'd like to hear today's show again or listen to previous shows, you can find us on the Otago Access Radio and DPAG Society websites. Thanks to contributor Ross Curry and producer Jonathan Quayoff. I'm Sally McMillan and you've been listening to Sightlines. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.